Marini's Media. And welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition with Football Manager. It's Lindsay Hooper here. Kate's winter break is almost over. She's going to be back with us next week. But for this edition, we've got in store for you today the Manchester City and Chelsea showdown, which didn't disappoint a six-goal thriller in the end. It's all changed at the bottom of the table as Bristol City pick up an invaluable first win of the season. We round up the final WSL match day before the women's game takes a break ahead of international duty. And we take a closer look at who could feature in Phil Neville's Olympic squad as we shine a light on the other home nations. So joining me on today's show, a big hello to Watford captain and Wales stalwart Helen Ward. I saw you very recently, Helen. You did, yeah, my home. Yes, you, I was on your territory. <laughs> you were. Did you enjoy it? I did. It was um, just to bring in Chris Legg as well, who's our other guest today. There was a, a Watford, it was sort of an empowering women event, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, that, um, and it had Kelly Smith and Helen on the panel. And okay. I had a bit of that imposter syndrome that you get sometimes. <laughs> but it, it was really good fun, wasn't it? It was, yeah, very enjoyable. And a big win against Chichester City yesterday for Watford. So this is in the FAWNL plate quarterfinal. It's a mouthful. 4-0. <laughs> you were on the score sheet as well. So Middlesbrough next in the semis? Yeah, a nice local one for us uh, next Sunday. <laughs> oh, have you joined no, them away? Yeah, we've got them away. But, you know, it, it was just good to play because it's been a few weeks with Storm Kira, Storm Dennis and anybody else that wanted to come and ruin pitches for us. So it was nice to get on the field and uh, score a couple of goals and clean sheet for the team. So it was good. Lovely stuff. So, as you heard, alongside Helen making his return, BBC Sports journalist and co-author of the Women's Football Yearbook. Welcome back to Chris Slegg. Thanks for having me back. Chris, it's great to get you back on. It's been a little while, actually. What what match were you at this weekend? I was commentating on the FA player yesterday, the Birmingham-Bristol City match, which uh, didn't disappoint for drama. It was a, a scrappy game, but obviously so much riding on that game. And, and we'll come on to it later, I'm sure. But what a result for Bristol City. Before we start, we've got a football manager update to tell you about. So this past Thursday, there were the first major data updates to all the transfer window action, except for Russia and China. But it does mean that you've got the likes of Agalo and Jared Bowen, who've now come in to the Premier League, and that will all be updated if you play the game. It does mean that since that January transfer window closed, the squads will all be up to date. So look out for some tweaks to player ratings as well. Uh, that can be based on performance and perceived potential. And we hope that you enjoy playing the game alongside listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Let's get into it, shall we? There's, of course, only one place for us to start because it was a top-of-the-table clash for the ages at the Academy Stadium. Scott and Walsh look for White and Weir and Becky. Great ball in! Ellen White for Manchester City. Cross floated in and the... Had a clear, a commanding one by Horton, but it's driven back in and it's gone all the way through. G with the equaliser for Chelsea. Stanway's made the run and Chelsea are stretched here. Ellen White getting into the box. It's Stanway! A big goal in a huge game in the title race. Look on by Bethingham was brilliant and it's gone through. Another equaliser for Chelsea. Well, this is a game that as, as living up to the hype, we are all oh, Ingle with the challenge penalty, penalty to City. Less than a minute after Chelsea had equalised, a pressure penalty. 
to be taken by Stanwyck. And it's saved! Kept out by Berger, who guessed the right way. What a huge moment in this title race that could be. To praise Chelsea's character, their powers of recovery that they've shown today. Things that will be asked of questions of potential title winners. Oh! Beth England with a moment worthy of this match. Weir. Oh, and Hemp! She's done it! Now it's City who equalise, and it's 3-3 at the Academy Stadium. Manchester City 3, Chelsea 3. This game delivered. I don't even know where to begin, guys. Because <laughs> you get excited about these sorts of fixtures and think, are they going to live up to expectations? This one absolutely did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Man City and Chelsea have often had some quite good games and there's never much between them. Um, and yesterday was obviously no different. I'm sure the two managers won't be best pleased maybe with some of the defending, you know, six goals in a game that suggests that there wasn't too much defending going on, but some unbelievable finishes, great drama, you know, both teams leading at different stages and, and bringing it back. So it shows the strength and character that both sides have got. So yeah, fantastic game for the neutral, especially. So for those of you that did miss it, six goal, there was a missed penalty, some incredible finishes, lots of opportunities that were also squandered during this game. So it did have it all. City twice led an end-to-end contest, only to find themselves 3-2 down to a sensational 30-yard strike from England forward Beth England. That came moments after Georgia Stanway had missed a penalty for the hosts. But Lauren Hemp poked beyond Chelsea goalkeeper Anne Catherine Berger to rescue a point for City in their final match before the she believes Cup. Uh, Georgia Samway's strike as well was a significant one. I know that you'd like this for your handbook, Chris, because it was the 2000th WSL goal. Yeah, we've been counting down for that for weeks. You know, we keep getting a, a notification from Opta every week and the FA saying, be aware the 2000th goal could come this weekend. And it certainly did. It came for Georgia Samway in a classic game. And I think that's, as a spectacle, this was brilliant. It's just what we needed after a couple of weeks of so much frustration with games being called off. And for the WSL to return with a, a clash between the top two that, that offered so much quality goals. Yes, I agree, Helen, I was surprised by some of the defending. <laughs> and I, I was expecting a really cagey, tight affair, you know, with so much riding on it, both teams going for the title, but it just exploded into life. And I think that's that's just what we needed um, as the uh, competition finally returned with a full programme undisrupted by the weather. We obviously saw some quality when it came to finishing, mm. but did we see some nerves? Is it suddenly registering for everyone what's at stake now? I think so. And I think, you know, both teams will be aware that they're in the driving seat right now. Chelsea have got a game in hand, but they're still sitting a point behind City, which, you know, so both teams are going to think it's in their own hands and it's up to them to, to produce the goods. So, yeah, there, there would have been nerves and maybe that accounts for some of the defending. Maybe it was a little bit hesitant at times, but, you know, you can't you can't fault the forwards. They've gone and scored six goals between them, or not just the forwards, of course, but six incredible goals and lots of drama. I think everybody was probably on edge for the whole game. But as I said, for the neutral, it was fantastic to watch. Another person on edge was Phil Neville. So he mm. was watching this one in the stands, but Ellie Roebuck had an injury and it is to the same spot that she already had a boot a couple of weeks ago. It's the same ankle that she's mm. been trying to protect. So that's some concern for him, especially when the She Believes are coming up. Yeah, I mean, the only positive is Alamon, the manager, said after the game that maybe it isn't as serious as it looks. We're still awaiting the news of, of how severe it is. But yeah, it could be a huge blow ahead of the She Believes Cup. 
and in the run-up to the Olympics, we just have to hope that it's not as bad as it looked because it didn't look good, did it? No, it didn't. Do you think he had a word, by the way, because all eight of City's players that are going to be in the She Believes all started? Do you think he had a word in Alan's ear? Can you just make oh, sure? Surely. I want to make sure I see quite a lot of these. Surely you, do, you would do, wouldn't you, as the England manager? You'd say, yeah, I want to, I want to see as much of my potential talent on display today as possible. But I'm sure Alan Mahon wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be moved and persuaded to do anything but the best for Manchester City. So if you could pick out just a couple of star performers each that really caught your eye. Um, I think you can't look past Beth in England with that strike. It was a fantastic hit. Georgia Stanway, I know she missed a penalty, but her all-round performance was very good and she seems to be hitting a bit of form. Had a bit of an injury problem towards the beginning of the season, but now seems to be coming out of that. So I think those two were standouts for me. Lauren Hemp had a really good game, didn't she, for Manchester City. Uh, She seemed to be involved in everything that they did well. She seems to grow in confidence Every week, she's really come on in stature since she signed for the club from from Bristol City, where she was such a key player at such a, a young age, and and that bodes well um, heading into the She Believes. I think for me, she was the standout player yesterday, and yeah, Beth England, you just can't ignore her. She's just got so much to her game. She can just score all sorts of goals. She's just powerful in so many positions. Um, that was a sensational goal, kind of similar to the one, not not quite as good, I would say, as the one she scored on the opening day against Tottenham which was a blistering mm, that powerful was shot great to yeah. be there for that one uh, she's fast becoming my favourite player in WSL Beth England I think mm. but it's just about whether she can sustain it and keep it going because season in season out we're starting to see now with the professional league the mm. demands on players so can she keep going and keep doing it but this season absolutely hands down we'll move on to the game that you were at next then Chris so it was a battle of the relegation rivals at Damson Park and it was the visitors who came out on top Bristol City securing a significant Significant 1-0 win over fellow strugglers Birmingham and that moves them off the bottom of the table. It was super sub Ebony Salmon who snatched the massive three points for the visitors. Salmon through for Bristol City. Can she get the shot away? She does. Beyond Hampton and up into the net. It's a smashing grab for Bristol City. Birmingham have had control of this game but Ebony Salmon is the super sub again. There's a familiar voice for you. Well, you described it there, Chris, <laughs> a smashing grab. Take us through the game from your perspective. It was. I mean, it, I, I really feared for Bristol City before the game. I'd, I'd almost kind of written them off as thinking they are going to be the team that's going to finish bottom because where they differ from Birmingham and Liverpool is they found themselves in games where they're just out of the game before they're even in it. You know, 3-0 down after 15 minutes uh, to Chelsea, 3-0 down in the FA Cup to Everton at half-time. They lost 11-1 to Arsenal. Birmingham and Liverpool, they, they tend to always be in the contest. Liverpool very rarely lose by more than a goal. So I, I really expected Birmingham to win yesterday, certainly being the home team. And they were in control of the game. OK, they didn't force Sophie Bagley, the, the Bristol City goalkeeper, into too many saves, but they had the majority of possession. They were creating chances. And then Ebony Salmon came off the bench, and I was surprised she didn't start. But you can see with hindsight exactly what Tanya Oxby was doing. Both those teams had so many injury problems yesterday. Uh, Tanya Oxby held Ebony Salmon back. She entered the fray. Ten minutes later, she just took that opportunity so well, got goal side of her defender. You knew she was going to take the shot on, did just enough to, to squeeze it beneath Hannah Hampton, who got a strong palm to it but couldn't keep it out. Of the net, and that proved to be the difference. I mean, actually, Bristol City had a, a strong period around that time when uh, Salmon entered the game and actually hit the crossbar twice. But it was cruel on Birmingham to lose that game. Mm. But in Ebony Salmon, Bristol City had the player who could get an opportunity for herself and take that opportunity. And now I, I can't 
call between those, it looks like those three teams, Bristol City, Birmingham and Liverpool, who it's going to be. Before yesterday's result, I really thought it's going to be Bristol City who are going to drop. And that that, that result yesterday just, has just thrown it all into confusion. We don't know who it's going to be who's going to drop down into the Championship. We discussed last week Lucy Staniforth's red card in the FA Cup, which meant that she missed this one for Birmingham. And you really felt that they might have had a bit more of a chance with her in the side. Yeah, definitely. Lucy Staniforth is a terrific player. You know, we've seen her quality for many years now. And Birmingham haven't got too many players that have that ability to win a game on their own, but she certainly is one of them. So the fact that she wasn't playing would suggest it was going to be a little bit more difficult for them. But like Chris said, Bristol are suffering massively with injuries right now. So I, I was in the same sort of area as you and thinking that it was going to be a tough one for Bristol to deal with they've conceded a lot of goals recently but you know fair play to them they've obviously stood firm a clean sheet which is massive for them and like you said uh, Ebony Salmon's come off the bench to score an important goal and she's done that a few times this season she's scored a few really important goals I've been impressed with her and she's got electrifying pace I know a couple of the girls at Bristol and they say she is absolutely rapid and obviously she has got a, an end product to it as well which if she can keep scoring between now and the end of the season then that's going to be huge for them and puts a lot of pressure on the likes of Birmingham and Liverpool. Extra motivation for her as well. She used to be an Aston Villa player. That added insult to injury, (laughs) didn't it? Uh, West Ham next. um, They got back to winning ways, beating Liverpool 4-2 and Liverpool slumping to their 10th defeat of the season. They now sink to the foot of the WSL table. Braces from Adriana Leon and Martha Thomas gave the Hammers a four-goal lead before Rachel Furness halved the deficit with two goals of her own, but it was all a bit too little too late. Um, West Ham, they have been unpredictable at times, but it was good to see them finally produce the sort of performance we know they're capable of. Yeah, I've I've known Matt Beard, their manager, for a little while now. He was my manager at Chelsea and, you know, I've listened to interviews he's done in recent weeks and it's been hurting him, the way they've performed, the way they've lost games. And you could sense that if they didn't get a result yesterday, then potentially he would have either called time on, you know, his spell at West Ham himself or, you know, the powers that be might have done that for him. But for, you know, on a personal level, I'm pleased for him that he's got that result. But at the same time, I'm disappointed for a couple of my friends that I've got at Liverpool, so it's it's a hard one. But um, massive for West Ham could be potentially devastating for Liverpool. Like you said, they don't normally leave, mm. lose by more than one goal. Um, so to concede four and be four nil down after an hour, I think it was, yeah. is really disappointing for them and probably a massive area of concern for Vicky Jepsen. But, you know, they've come back, scored two goals, so maybe they'll go into the next game with a little bit of, you know, hope and belief from that. But, you know, it's not not a good day for them at all. And if Liverpool do survive this season, Chris, Rachel Furness will be a huge part of that. Yeah, unbelievable impacts that she's had uh, since arriving there in, in January. That's four goals in her last three, four goals in, in the four WSL appearances she's made for the club. And yeah, having just said earlier on that Liverpool don't often get blown away, I think that was only the third game they've lost by more than a goal. And to, to find themselves 4-0 down after... An hour again. That's a that's a game I thought was going to be pretty close, given West Ham's recent form mm. and and the, the the words that we've been hearing from Matt Beard, who's been beating himself up and sounded so so understandably down on his luck. Certainly after that eight 0 defeat to to Chelsea at the start of the month, I didn't expect this to be so comfortable uh, for West Ham. But yeah, Rachel Furness, quality player, brings that experience that Liverpool are going to need in the run in. At least she she made the scoreline respectable towards the end but that result has really got me me fearing again now for Liverpool I I, I just sense that the the morale was sapping out of Bristol City and that Liverpool certainly in Rachel Furness as well 
were going to have the slight more quality to edge themselves away from danger. But the the, the manner of that collapse yesterday and, and the ultimate outcome, again, just leaves you thinking it, it could be anyone from these bottom three that, that's, that's going to slip through the trapdoor. So, so tight. We had another goal fest on Merseyside as Manchester United came away with a 3-2 victory over Everton at the Toffees' new home, Walton Hall Park. I'm passing around my phone because I saw that the design person behind the new changing rooms posted some pictures and a lot of the Lovely. girls have had some say on what that looks like. It looks lovely doesn't it inside there you'd like that in your dressing room wouldn't you yeah definitely it makes it feel like home they've obviously had trouble with their previous ground and you know they haven't really had anywhere to call their own for a long time now so for them to go in and walk in on a match day obviously the result didn't go as they'd have liked but they've had a really good season so far so for them to go in have that lift shoot before you walk on the pitch it feels like home and they had a massive crowd so if they can do that going forward I think that'll be a, a very good move for them it might be a turning point and just that they have that sort of home that they've been longing for uh, Leah Galton was the star for this one uh, put United in command with a first half double followed by a third from Ella Toon just before the hour mark it looked like plain sailing for Casey Stoney's side but actually Everton they showed real character Dan Turner headed in a corner Lucy Graham caught Mary Earps off her line but they couldn't quite find that equaliser and after the match Turner said hopefully we put on a spectacle and we've had enough to inspire those fans and make them want to come back to see us at Walton Hall Park it could be key to them now moving on and kicking on uh, to the next level just the one goal share between Brighton and Tottenham. It was Karen Hill's side who prospered thanks to a second half penalty for Rihanna Dean. I feel like she's always scoring penalties. <laughs> uh, we saw another red card in this one after giving that at the start of the season that there aren't many red cards in women's football. We've had more, I think, than any other season. Uh, the hosts were reduced to 10 when French midfielder Leah Legaric was sent off for a second bookable offence after just 32 minutes. And when you have a sending off so early on, Chris, mm. it's really hard to recover. It felt really harsh. I mean, by the letter of the law, they were both yellow cards. She she prevented Tottenham from taking a free kick and then she just left her foot in for a marginal foul for the second one. But yeah, to find yourself down by a player with almost an hour still to play, it's going to be a, a tall order, especially when you're, you're a team like Brighton who don't create many chances either. There's not many goals in the games that they play and when they're struggling towards the wrong end as well. Rihanna Dean's penalty though, yeah, it was, it's quality the way that she took that. Mm. Um, you, you, she's one of those players you, you back to score when she steps up to the spot. She just looks so composed. She looks so confident. She's a really controlled player. That's a big result for Tottenham. You know, they're really impressing in their, their first season in, in the WSL up to sixth now. Brighton, I think they're going to have enough to stay up there. They're ninth. They're seven points ahead of Liverpool. When you when you look at Liverpool, have only got six points so far all season. It would be hard for, for Liverpool to make up that gap. But Brighton have played more games than anyone else down there. They played two more than Bristol City and Liverpool and three more than Birmingham. But I think they'll have just enough to, to keep themselves up. So this is what all of those results mean then when it does come to the table. The 3-3 draw has left the title race wide open. Manchester City are one point above Chelsea at the top, heading into the final six rounds of fixtures. But as we keep on saying and having to remind everyone, Emma Hayes' side still have a game in hand over their rivals. Arsenal weren't in action as they were playing their FA Cup fifth round tie. More on that in a moment, but they'll be grateful for the 3 all draw to keep them within touching distance. Uh, they're going to sit three points behind Chelsea, four behind City. City. At the foot of the table, that big win for Bristol City boosted their survival hopes, whilst Birmingham slipped to 11th. They find themselves one point ahead of Liverpool, who've slumped to the bottom of the table after the 4-2 defeat by West Ham. <laughs> 
You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition with Football Manager. So let's round up the FA Cup fifth round as much as we can. We saw three matches go ahead last Monday evening. Chelsea eased past Liverpool 1-0 thanks to a strike from Guru Wrighton just before the half-hour mark. By all accounts, Emma Hayes' side were dominant. They controlled the match despite only putting one past Anker Preuss. Elsewhere, there were two 5-0 thrashings. Everton beat Bristol City 5-0 and that was in front of just under 1,900 fans at Ashton Gate. While Spurs progressed thanks to their own 5-0 win over Coventry United. So nobody really expecting two 5-0s out of those matches. If you're a fan of seeing goals, the FA Cup has been delivering lately, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think I think in women's football in particular, the FA Cup has still got that magic. And, you know, to see so many goals in the last round is really good. And, you know, it's produced some tasty looking ties for the next round as well. So, no, it's really good to see. Yeah, I, I, I do think going forward, almost the FA Cup can be... Uh, more of a strength for the women's game than, than the WSL because it's a name that everyone who loves football is familiar with from the men's game. I think that translates. And, and what we're seeing in the final now with these huge crowds at Wembley, you know, it was a masterstroke of the FA to, to move the the final there in, in, in 2015 and that the crowd has grown pretty much every year. Right, It was slightly down last year. But I think that interest in the final is slowly creeping back throughout the rounds in the FA Cup competition and we're having more ties televised both the semi-finals are on the TV every year now and we had the Arsenal-Lewis game on on the BBC Red Button yesterday so I I think the FA Cup there's real strength in this competition to grow the women's game obviously that huge debate about the prize money which Lewis are really pushing that argument and I think that brings a a wider interest too that, that transcends just the football news agenda brings other people into exploring the women's FA Cup and, and seeing some great ties as we saw in the fifth round. Well, tying up everything else, on Thursday night, Leicester took a WSL scalp, knocking out Reading, and it was all about a star performance from an 18-year-old, Paige Bailey-Gale. She smashed in a shot off the post from 25 yards to take the game to extra time. And just when it looked like penalties were inevitable, she hammered in a second goal off the crossbar this time. She doesn't like to score them easy. It settled the tie. Uh, Reading had led until the 79th minute through Brooke Chaplin's first-half penalty, but it was the championship side who turned it around to progress. We always wanted to get an underdog through. They are the ones. And on Sunday, Arsenal put their place in the quarterfinals thanks to a 2-0 win over Lewis. Goals from Caitlin Ford and Danielle van der Donk gave the Gunners their victory over second-tier opposition. Uh, still one tie, by the way, left to be settled. Crystal Palace and Brighton go head-to-head. Uh, that is on Tuesday night. And the quarterfinal draw took place last Monday. It's all over the place, isn't it, trying to keep up with where we are? Um, so it will be Crystal Palace or Brighton facing Birmingham. Everton will take on Chelsea, Arsenal against Spurs, huge North London derby, and then Leicester against Manchester City. Where do you think the winner is coming from in that? I think we'll end up with Arsenal, Chelsea and Man City in the in the semi-finals again. Always hard to, to tell between those three. I mean, it's, it's crazy with these three sides that the pressure is on them all to win every competition that they they enter. I guess from from their pedigree, their historic pedigree, and from the fact that I think they're probably going to miss out on the title, albeit they've still got the Champions League, of course, haven't they, Arsenal? But I might just go for Arsenal to to win the FA Cup ahead of Chelsea or 
or Man City. But that, that, that Leicester result last week was, was brilliant because you don't get enough shocks in the Women's FA Cup. Beating a, a team from a division above is so hard and certainly when you've got a full-time WSL take on a part-time championship. So Leicester going through was, was brilliant. And Helen, you can speak about that because it isn't just a normal giant killing. This is a professional league against a non-professional league. Yeah, it is. And Leicester didn't have the best start to this season. They've, they've hit a bit of form recently and that's brilliant for them. And, you know, also... The fact that it was played on a Thursday night, I believe, which, you know, a lot of the Leicester players probably had a full day at work or at least half a day at work coming in to face a team that haven't had that. They haven't had the pressure of doing that. They, you know, they're full-time footballers. So, you know, even to take them to extra time, they did fantastically well. And Paige Bailey-Gale looks uh, a really promising player. I think she made her debut for Arsenal away to Man City, was it a couple of seasons ago, as a really young player. So she's obviously always had that that promise and that talent. Um, But to see her step up to the plate and, and take her team to the next round and a home tie against Man City is is perfect reward for them. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. Well, we've still got the Continental Cup final to look forward to, but the WSL is going on a break now until the 22nd of March. So let's shine a spotlight on international football. We'll start with England because Phil Neville did announce his She Believes Cup squad last Tuesday. Uh, the most eye-catching news from that was that Phil Neville handed West Ham's 22-year-old defender Grace Fisk her first senior call-up. Uh, was that expected for you, Chris? I was surprised by that. And, and again, we've got to wait to see how serious a knock she got uh, yesterday on, on Sunday in the Liverpool game is hopefully she'll be able to take her place in that in that squad. Great to see young talent, great to see a young squad. I mean, Phil Neville and the FA were very open about the fact they were putting the emphasis on youth in preparations for, for Euro 2021. And um, yeah, I, I was looking forward to seeing what, what Grace Fisk has to offer on this uh, on this tour, assuming she would get some minutes under her belt, but now we've got to wait and see um, the extent of that that injury that forced her to go off against Liverpool. Phil did go very young with some of the selections. Mm. Um, also, Chloe Kelly from Everton getting a recall. And and you think this is a great opportunity for some of these players to really cement themselves in his thoughts? Yeah, for sure. Like They don't have a qualifying campaign for the Euros, so it's an opportunity for Phil to have a look at those young players and Chloe Kelly's the one for me that I think her form in the league for Everton has been fantastic and she seems to have been on the cusp for a little while now. She had that one cap um, back in 2018, but I think since then she seems to have grown as a player. She's taken the weight of responsibility on her shoulders up at Everton and has been scoring some fantastic goals, all types of goals, you know, from far out. A bit similar to Beth England, she seems capable of scoring goals from all areas of the pitch, which is brilliant. And she's obviously got some excellent players to look up to. She'll be training alongside Ellen White and players like that. So that's only going to help her in her development. And she's hit the ground running at the right time, I think. A big blow for Phil is the fact that Beth Mead has got this knee ligament damage that she picked up in the 3-2 win over Liverpool. He's actually come out, Chris, since and said that she's been in the best form of her career this season. So she she going to be a, a big gap to fill? Yeah, I mean, she has been. That Again, just what she offers that Arsenal team and the England team when she plays, uh, the, the way that she works so hard for her teammates. She can get goals herself as well. So many crucial assists. So sad to see a, another player getting a an injury like that. Will be, it's, it's not an ACL, is it? It's, a, it's, a, it's an MCL, I believe, and there is a hope that she'll return before the, the very end of the season. Um, but that's, that's going to be a, 
a big loss. Um, but yeah, great excitement about Chloe Kelly. I agree with you, Helen, to see her. And, and she does remind me, as you say, of Beth England and actually of Beth Mead too. Of It's not just about the, the physical development that you see in these players, but the mental development too. And all three of those players have improved this season and improved last season on what they offered before. And Beth England has spoken about that time that she had at Liverpool and how that helps her. All three of them have taken their game on a level, and that's so good to see because we often see it in men's and women's football where players can plateau quite young. There's so much hype about them, and they can almost not live up to that hype, certainly on the international stage. But in, in those three players and other players in this England squad, they truly do seem to me to be developing in, in, for their clubs and for their country. Of course, when you get new players coming in, that does mean that some players have to make way. A couple of omissions. We'll come on more detail to Fran Kirby later on in an update on her injury and why mm. she's been out. But I suppose Jodie Taylor is the one that you think, well, having scored some monumental goals for England over a period of time, she is coming towards the latter stages of her career. Yeah, it's so harsh for, for these players. Um, who have given so much to their country. Jodie had a decent World Cup, had an impact there. Fran Kirby, it's, it's been so tough to see what she's had to deal with this season. I mean, the, the excitement about her just a year, two years ago, three years ago, even the 2015 World Cup when she went there, so young. And she's going to have to show real strength of character to, to deal with everything that that's going on with her. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the nature of international football, isn't it? That there's always going to be winners and losers and, and quality players are going to have to miss out. And as we've said, if we, if, we, if we think it's hard choosing a World Cup squad and a She Believes squad, then then just wait to the Olympics because that is crazy with, with just 18 players in that squad. So they've got United States, Japan and Spain. How do you think they will fare? Well, there's four fantastic teams there. There's no doubt about that. I think, obviously, starting against the USA is a, a real tough test. They're the world champions. Yeah. They're, they are the team to beat at the moment. Whether they can carry on that, that form they showed in the World Cup and, you know, obviously the USA will be looking at Tokyo as well, so it's a building block for them. I don't know. England do tend to get good results against the USA. That certainly put in good performances more times than they don't. It is a young squad, though, so I don't know how they're going to handle the experience and the talent that the US have in that game. As for Japan, they really impressed me in the World Cup. I know they didn't necessarily get as far as they would hope, but they were sort of going through a transitional period, had a very young squad themselves. So maybe they're they're coming out the other side of that where those players are that, that tiny bit ahead of some of the players in the Lionesses squad. And Spain, they're just an exciting team, aren't they? They've got some wonderfully technical players and, you know, they like to play football in a way that is very, very pleasing on the eye. If they can do something with all that possession. Yeah, it's the substance behind it. It's one thing having the ball for 90% of the game, but if you're not going to stick it in the back of the net at the end of it, then you're not going to win, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it is. It's four very different teams, I think. It's a really tough one to call. I think if England get a positive result in that first game, then they could well go and win it again. If they don't, I, it, it's really tough to call. I, I fancy the... Oh, I can't say the winner's going to come out of three teams out of four, can I? It's a bit, um, <laughs> no, not that's really. not going to work. So, and from an odds perspective, I don't think we'd give you much back on that. No, no, you wouldn't. I'm going to put my neck on the line and say Japan. And yeah. also, Japan will be treating this as a warm-up mm. for the Olympics, and they have got their eyes set on gold. I think they're going to be really tough to beat at the Olympics. Um, you handled that brilliantly as the pro that you are. <laughs> We're going to come on to your Wales now. So preparations from Wales Euro 2021 campaign continue. A friendly against Estonia on Friday the 6th of March. A familiar face as well in the opposing dugout. Estonia are managed by former Wales women manager Jarmo Matikainen and uh, Jane Ludlow's predecessor, uh, if people remember him. So who 
who he was Wales boss 2010 to 2014. So you would have played under him. Yeah, I had a lot of my career was played under him. He gave me an opportunity to sort of nail down that number nine role under him. And I was very thankful for that. And I enjoyed my time playing as for him as our manager and he brought Wales on to the next level that we needed to be at at that time obviously since then Jane has then taken it on that step further but he he did so much for us in terms of raising the professional sort of standards that we had getting an infrastructure behind us in terms of support staff and and things off the pitch he really looked after as well as the stuff on the pitch which he dealt with from you know similar to Jane from younger teams right up to senior level and he had a big hand in a lot of players who are now coming to the fore he likes of Sophie Ingall and Harry James he gave those players their debuts at a very very young age and and showed that faith that you know, not all managers are going to do when you've got a 16, 17-year-old kid coming through the ranks. And, and he did that. So, you know, he's a big part of where we are now. Obviously, Jane has been in charge, as you said, since 2014 now. So her mark has very much been made on, on us as a squad. And, you know, we're we're in a good place at the moment. Could be better, but it could also be a lot worse. So, no, we're, we're looking forward to the challenges we've got in terms of qualifying for, for the Euros. We've not been there before. So it's a different pressure we're under after the campaign we had last time. I'm sure you'll be calling for the fans to, to turn out Friday the 6th of March for that match. It is at Wrexham's racehorse ground and people thinking, oh, this is a home tie. There isn't an exact advantage here in the sense that you've only played there once since 2012. I remember that game as well. We beat Israel. I think it was 4-0 maybe, maybe five. Tash Harding scored a hat-trick. Um, but yeah, it's um, we've had a lot of call to get games up north um, because there is a good fan base up there and obviously playing games in the south of Wales in Cardiff, Newport, places like that it's difficult for fans to get down so we're hoping that those those North Walians will get around and you know get to the to Wrexham's ground it's a, it's a lovely little stadium it's hopefully got a really good pitch at the moment and yeah we're looking forward to pitting our wits against obviously Yama and his Estonia team and, and also using it as preparation for some really big qualifiers that we've got coming up in April. Yeah, and those coming up against Faroe Islands and Norway, Norway in April, I mean, that's the measure of where you are, I suppose, to try and work out how close you are to them. You're four points behind them in the table at the moment, you're second in Group C. Yeah, so it's obviously the, the two extremes of our group, those two games, playing the Faroes who ourselves and, and most people would expect us to beat and beat comfortably and and for us that's an opportunity for the forward players and the the midfielders to express themselves on the ball and and try and get a few goals but then obviously focus will turn to a very different approach potentially against Norway fantastic team again I was I was impressed with them up during parts of the World Cup I thought they had some very good performances they probably let themselves down a little bit in that England game but before that they looked a really strong side and we've seen a few of their players playing in the WSL as well this season and you know they're not a team to be taken lightly of course and sometimes you go into these games thinking well nobody's expecting anything of us we don't really need to win it's not part of our our plan but because of the results we've had in the two Northern Ireland games where we've only got a point from each if we could get something out of the Norway game that's going to be huge for us in in that fight for second place so we'll, we'll be going out there to get a result we, we're not going to sort of sit back and think oh we'll just take a defeat on the chin we, we want to go and get a result and if we don't get a win then we're going to certainly look to not lose the game. Chris do you see Wales being yeah, the Euros? Well yeah I mean and, and the form of the likes of, of Sophie Ingle at mm. Chelsea and Hayley Ladd at Manchester United delivering consistently week in yeah. week out that must give you real confidence. Yeah of course they are exceptional players and it's really nice for me you know I've seen them grow up since they were young kids mm. as I said they're two of the players that Yamo gave the opportunity at 
I think they were both 16 when they made their debut for Wales. So we've seen it for years and years now and it's it's really good to see them putting performances in at the top level for big teams that people's eyes are on them at the moment and they're delivering. And, you know, for me, they're, they're outstanding players. We've got, of course, we've got plenty of other players that are outstanding, but at the moment they're the two that are in the public eye and, and they're really delivering on every Yeah, there's every quality week. in that team and I, you know, I really hope Wales are there. I hope Scotland are there. I hope all the home nations are there. I think that will add some, so much to the tournament to have... You know, if any of the home nations were to come up against each other in a, in a tournament that's mm. oh, it's great atmosphere, staged here yeah. in England, it would be incredible. On to Scotland then. Uh, West Ham forward Martha Thomas and Glasgow City midfielder Sam Kerr. Yes, the other one. Uh, they're eyeing international debuts in the Pinatar Cup where Scotland face Ukraine, Iceland and Northern Ireland. Uh, Kerr's targeting victory in the Cup, which Scotland are using as preparation for home Euro qualifiers as well. They're involved against Portugal, Albania and Finland in the coming months. Uh, the Scotland boss has said that they have two main objectives for the Cup. One is to win it and the other is to give the players an opportunity to play across games. Uh, the Scots are second in Euro qualifying groupie. They've got a 100% perfect record after a 5-0 win in Albania and 8-0 home thrashing of Cyprus, a game in which Kim Little scored five but she's now out injured. Well, let's speak to a woman who's made 128 appearances for her country and will play a key role in this tournament. A big hello to Arsenal defender Jem Beattie. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Do you keep uh, a note of the number of appearances you make or have I just reminded you? Um, yeah, you've just reminded me. I think um, obviously every cap is uh, such a, a great honour, but um, yeah, I tend to just focus on the game rather than the number of caps. We're having a little focus for this podcast on the upcoming Olympics and who might be included from Scotland. Um, who would you say is a front runner to be part of Phil Neville's plans for that? Um, I think that's such a tough question and probably one for Phil. I think... All of us, obviously, are still their main focus is our Scotland games and trying to focus um, on qualifying for the Euros, especially after a World Cup. So our games will well and truly be at the forefront in our heads, for sure. I mean, you're second at the moment in that Euro qualifying Group E, but you, you've got a 100% record, haven't you, at the moment? Yeah, we do. We, uh, we haven't had many, actually, actual games since the World Cup. I think Shelley did that on purpose to give us a bit of time to reflect and going into this next round of games but it's definitely a busy schedule coming up and this Pinatar Cup coming up is a is a perfect opportunity to regroup and get back together and get our heads back on these qualifiers. A double blow for you with Kim Little's injury not only for you at Arsenal but of course for country as well. She is a huge miss when she's not in either of those sides isn't she? Yeah massively. Kim you know if, if you know her personally or professionally she, she'll be a, a huge loss on and off the pitch the experience and level that she brings to to Arsenal and Scotland will be sorely missed. But it's you know at this point now with Scotland, definitely I would say it's probably the most amount of depth we've we've ever had, and we we all saw that in the World Cup. So hopefully we'll be okay without her. When it comes to the Olympics, did a Scottish contingent feel that they'll definitely get a fair crack of the whip in in consideration from Phil Neville? I think everyone would feel like that across the board. I think the Welsh girls, Northern Irish, and English would all feel that it will be fair play in whatever happens but I, I generally do think that everyone's focus will be on their own national team and this qualification going into the Euros is huge for every country so it's up to Phil. Mm, you're spinning a few plates at the moment with all those competitions. I, I guess when the talk comes to the Olympics though, a lot of people are thinking that there's a few key players within that Scotland team that could make a huge difference. Just in terms of looking forward, when, when you've got so many plates that you are spinning, how, how do you manage to juggle that mentally as a player? 
Um, I think for me, focus, it always comes back to the da- the daily things. It's obviously still my first year, first season being back at Arsenal. And I think that's been my main focus since day one, um, since I started in pre-season. And I think if I've always said that the daily things that I do will hopefully work out in the long run. So my focus is, is just on training well for this team and training when I'm with Scotland as well. And yeah, hoping for the best. Well, we wish you all the best with qualification for the Euros and we'll end with an Arsenal question. Can you win this title, Jen? Everyone's seen it so close now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely still, there's plenty of games still to go. I think the Chelsea-Man City draw yesterday definitely just, if anything, just kept it tight at the top. It didn't let Chelsea run away with it. So it means, you know, six, I think it's six, eight and nine points that we've all dropped. So if anything, it just makes it tighter. But this league is without a doubt, you know, the most competitive it's ever been. And it's it's such an amazing uh, league to be part of. But it's definitely still all to play for, I would think. Well, you just heard from Jem Beattie, Arsenal defender and Scotland defender there. And it sounded very much, guys, like the, the focus for Scotland's on the Euros. Do you, th- do you think with these other nations that maybe the focus isn't so much on the Olympic squad? It's a really tricky situation, isn't it? In the, you know, the Scottish FA have said we won't stand in anyone's way, but we're not going to publicise this tournament. We're not going to fully embrace it. There's a similar stance from the Welsh FA. You wonder if anyone has said anything officially to the players or whether that kind of message drips through to the players in that they they don't want to speak too enthusiastically about something which has such political implications for the men's game going forward. I don't know, Helen, you probably got a better sense of how how the Welsh public and the Welsh players are embracing it compared to here in England. Yeah, it's very different. You know, obviously there's reasons behind, you know, each nation taking their stance and you know, for us as players, it's very similar to what Jen said, where our focus is very much on European qualification. We've not been to a major tournament ourselves. So for us, that's the main goal. And, and our focus is on that, whether it's the friendlies coming up or whether it's the qualifiers themselves. You know, the summer of 2020 is not for us anything to do with the Olympics. Mm. If players go from Wales, then great. But if they don't, you know, that's that's nothing to do with us in that sense. Um people in the public have their own opinions and they're they're right to have that and you know it's not for me to speak on behalf of any of the other players if if someone does get the opportunity they'll decide what they want to do with it and move on from there but for us very similar as Jen said it's it's all about the Euros and and our qualifiers and putting that very much before anything else at the moment. You can tell it is such a sensitive issue Mm. and when is that ever going to change? It's never going to change, is it? If this comes up again, it will be exactly the same. It feels like it would be exactly the same unless Team GB won gold. I mean, Olympic gold is just so huge in any sport. It transcends everything. It's huge news. It would mean everything to those players who would become household names. But anything less than gold, even silver or to, to kind of barely register on the tournament then this issue will come up every four years. I mean, I went to one of the men's games at London 2012, and as a fan, it just felt weird. It just feels weird watching Team GB in football. But I do think it's a really important thing for women's football Mm. to have an Olympic team because the Olympics reaches a very different audience to just, in inverted commas, a World Cup. So I think it's very important that we have it, but it's it's such an impossible job for Phil Neville. It makes you realise the magnitude of the job. The magnitude of the job, not just having just 18 players in the squad, but just the the political overplay, trying to keep everyone happy, having to say himself the She Believes Cup has got nothing to do with the Olympics. I mean, that, that 
that's utterly bizarre, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Mm. He's got to be planning for the Olympics, and yet he really has to say, well, this is completely different. And the Welsh players have to say, yeah, we're, we're concentrating on Euro 2021, as did the Scots. I mean, it's, it's a really hard thing for everyone involved. But ultimately, if Team GB went there and got a gold, it would all be worth it. And a word on Northern Ireland as well as you heard also in action at the Pinatar Cup. Two new faces for Kenny Shields' side. Uh, Middles delayed his goalkeeper Lily Crooks and Glentorian midfielder Danielle Maxwell have both been included for the very first time. Also, another familiar face in the squad, Liverpool's Rachel Furness, who's been in brilliant form that we discussed earlier. And Everton striker Simone McGill. We're going to preview now the Continental Cup final. Uh, this is taking place at Nottingham Forest City Ground, a stadium I love to go to. Saturday at 5.30pm, Chelsea against Arsenal. Predictions just hit me with them. Go on. I'm predicting Chelsea, and I think in some ways it will be nice to see a new name on the cup because only Arsenal and Manchester City have ever won the Continental Cup. But in some ways, you know, it almost feels like Emma Hayes has been so dismissive of, of the competition over the years that... Um, they're almost not deserving of it. That's not the right way of putting it. But um, she has really labelled the competition a nuisance. She has really called for it to be scrapped. Similar in the men's game to Pep Guardiola not valuing the, the Carabao Cup and Man City are in the final. And there's so many clubs out there and so many fans of clubs who would be desperate to see their team get to a cup final. It almost feels a bit wasted on a, on a club that has been so public in the fact that they feel like they've got bigger fish to fry. But looking at Arsenal's injury problems... I would back Chelsea to win it. I have a feeling she might change her tune if she's Maybe. holding the trophy yes. aloft for those pictures. Maybe. What do you think? I think the players themselves, you know, as a player, I, as soon as you're in a final, that's it, you want to win it. It's, it's similar to, you know, obviously on a, on a lesser scale where we're out in the, in the plate competition at Watford. It became a bit of a nuisance because we were waiting to play this game. But once we were on the pitch and once we knew we were playing it, we wanted to win. And I'm sure the players, they're going to want silverware. They're going to want to have that trophy. So for the Chelsea players, they're certainly going to go out there to win. But Arsenal do love the Continental Cup. So it's a really tough one. I think there'll be a lot of goals. I hope there's a lot of goals. Um, Mm. Great stadium. It's good for it to be put on a sort of a a higher profile stadium at Nottingham Forest. And, you know, that's hosted FA Cup finals in the past in the women's game. So, yeah, hopefully it's a good spectacle. But... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Arsenal. So if Arsenal win, it will be a sixth time. For Chelsea, it would be a first, as Chris pointed out. But Chelsea also have that added element of potentially being on, on course for a treble. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and early, uh, earlier in the show, I, I backed Arsenal for the FA Cup. I'm almost changing my tune within just 20 <laughs> minutes and saying that I think Chelsea will win the FA Cup. I mean, it, it, they, they just seem to have greater strength than Man City and Arsenal, greater fluidity, greater solidity in the fact that Manchester City have just changed their manager and okay that'll have minimal impact I guess given that he's a familiar figure with the players but I wouldn't be at all surprised if if Chelsea claimed a domestic treble and then um, we'd have to pin all our hopes on Arsenal's hopes on the, uh, the Champions League which will certainly be a very tall order. Well, on to any other business. Uh, We have got positive news for you out of Chelsea to do with Frank Kirby, which we hinted at earlier on in the show. Uh, The Chelsea in England forward says she's feeling a hundred times better as she continues her recovery since being diagnosed in November with pericarditis, an inflammation of the fluid-filled sac around the heart. This has really debilitated her. She, at the one time, was sleeping for about 15 hours a day, she's revealed. She's been very honest and frank in what she's had to combat. She's not yet back training fully 
with Chelsea, but she has started the process of trying to reintegrate herself back into the squad. And such a, a big thing to deal with. You'll know this from a playing perspective, that that time out will have been agony. Yeah, and Fran's had a tough time of it. You know, she's had some some injuries, niggly ones, some more serious ones. Obviously, there's a problem with her heart. She's had things in her personal life. So from a young age, she's had to deal with a lot of off-the-pitch issues or, you know, things that are stopping her from playing. And, and we all know that Fran Kirby is a player that when she's smiling and when she's happy and at her best, she's a phenomenal talent. I mean, I was lucky enough to to play with her at Reading for a very brief period when she was sort of bursting onto the scene and scored that goal against Arsenal, you know, who had two World Cup winners in their team at the time. And this kid rocks up, turns them inside out and, and wins a game for a, a Reading side that had no real right to win it. And, you know, the talent's there and it must be so hard for her and those close to her to see her go through such pain and you know trauma and so often in her life mm. you know and she still is so young as well I've no doubt that she'll get back to it and she's she seems to be in a, a very good club that's going to look after her and you know not rush her back into anything and as uh, Chris alluded to they've got the players that they're able to to take their time with it as they've got so many gifted players to, to take her place in the meantime but it is really tough for her, but as I said, I think she'll get back to her best and, and she'll be running defences ragged in, in no time, I'm sure. I'm sure she'll have this next bit of news in mind because it's less than 500 days to go until Euro 2021. It's been announced that England will open the 2021 European Championships on home soil at Manchester United's Old Trafford Stadium on the 7th of July. Uh, the 76,000 stadium will be one of the 10 venues used across the country. Uh, Wembley will host the final. And some big news north of the border as well. Celtic have announced the signing of one of the most exciting young players in Europe, completing a loan move for Atletico Madrid's Anita Marcos. Uh, she's only 19 years old, a forward who will be known as Anita. I love it when they just have one name. It's like being Beyonce, but in the world of football. Has <laughs> uh, won the Spanish title twice and helped Spain claim the under-19 European Championship. A sign of intent from Celtic. I think that's what everyone's taking away from this as they continue to grow in the women's game since announcing last month that they've gone fully professional. Well, guys, that's your lot for this week. A big thank you to our sponsor, Football Manager. We're going to be back next week to react to the first silverware of the season. According to Chris, it's going to Chelsea. According to Helen, it's going to Arsenal. You both can't be right. <laughs> One of you will be. And to look ahead as well to international action. Head over to the website, offsiderulepodcast.com, for all our latest shows and some articles covering both the women's and men's game, including our regular weekend wanderings feature and a comprehensive roundup of that fifth round of the FA Cup. Thank you very much much for joining us both um i want to mention as well chris because you've got your woman football yearbook with yep. you we'll get that in the in the picture that we take on oh. our social media channels still no sponsor because yep. this was a show that garnered a sponsor give well you a done. little pitch well done for finding a sponsor yes if there's anyone out there who would put their name any company that would put their name to the women's football yearbook so help me grow it it's uh, the third edition came out earlier this season Helen, I've written your name in that book so many times because oh, I try every goal scorer in the top four <laughs> tiers. And I notice how many late goals you get. You seem to, you don't seem to tire. You get a lot of goals in the 70th and 80th minutes when the opposition It's because I tiring. just hang around the box for that long and eventually <laughs> one's going to fall to me. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's the first and only book of its kind in the UK and uh, I'm really keen to find a sponsor to help me grow it, to help me market it and help me take it to an even wider readership because... Everyone who has bought it has, has mainly given me positive feedback. It seems to be a book that is is highly valued by the readership and I want to be able to take it to a, an even bigger audience and I need a sponsor to help me do that. We'd love to help you with that and urge anyone to get in touch and help. And if they want to contact us and we'll put you in touch, we can do that. Um, thank you so much. And thank you listeners as well. We'll be back next week, Kate and I. 
You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. Muddy Knees Media.